0: Oh well, welcome back to Hollywood to classify. I'm John William Law. We are talking about James Bond still in this series and um we are going to go in a little bit more detail around the film that would bring uh, Sean Connery back to Bond. So we had talked about it in a few of the other um, shows, uh, kind of this series, and uh, kind of mentioned that uh, Never Say Never Again, which is um, which is is or isn't considered an official Bond movie. There's a lot of kind of I guess you can you can kind of look at it in different aspects. It is, um, because it was. Uh, it does have sort of an interesting story. And so I've I've mentioned it, obviously, that the, the original kind of the whole kind of series is is really about this kind of lost Bond film. And there is a lot of information about the idea that back in the 1950s, Ian Fleming had the idea of bringing James Bond to the big screen. Um, and he was actually working on a TV series. So he was working with a, a guy by the name of Kevin McClurey and another guy by the name of Jack Whittingham on a screenplay. And it was originally called uh, James Bond of the Secret Service. And James Bond the Secret Service was uh, was sort of envisioned as a TV series, and there are stories that there were about as many as seven different kind of screenplays or stories written for the potential show. The series never uh, materialized, and there was also idea work on an idea of doing a film, and one of the names of the film, as I mentioned, was Longitude 78 West, and I'd written about that in a book on Alfred Hitchcock, because Hitchcock was one of the people that they were considering as a director or hoping to get as a director. Uh, but that story then never panned out, and so we went into those stories uh, in previous episodes, but um, McClory's deal, um, what happened was, uh, again, a, a lawsuit, and the lawsuit would ultimately end up in court with Ian Fleming uh, signing over the kind of screen rights to the screenplay for film versions of what would ultimately be Thunderball, um, and uh, he would retain the uh, the book rights, so he would be able to so he would publish Thunderball, which had actually already been published and was actually able to go into print and be sold, um, and has been reproduced and reprinted a number of times. But the screenplay um, after uh, Eon Productions, which is the company that they had they had purchased the rights to make all of the James Bond books into films uh, and through that they were able to be, get the Thunderball story onto the big screen but when they did that they ultimately would end up having to put Kevin McClory's name on the um, on the story on the film as executive producer. So if you watch the film you'll see his name he actually appears in a small cameo in the film as well but um, he uh, uh, would then have the rights to future works based upon that screenplay. So because of that, Kevin McClory always had this idea of turning that into another film. He wanted to do his version of the film. So the the legal uh, arrangement that he had was that after the year 1975, which was about 10 years after the release of Thunderball, he would be able to take his story into a film. And tell his version of Thunderball, and so he was working on the idea uh, after '75 of doing a, a film called James Bond and the Secret Service, and um, Sean Connery had actually at this point hung up his his coat on James Bond. He had ended doing Bond in, well, depending upon how you look at it, he ended up doing it. The last Bond film he would do would be Diamonds Are Forever in 1971, but he had kind of given up on Bond before that. So after You Only Live Twice, he had sort of hung up Bond and then they did uh they did On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which was um intended to be a film with Sean Connery and um he it's a it's a, there's a lot of convoluted stuff going on around this because they originally had planned, if I remember correctly, You Only Live Twice was to be the the kind of I guess uh fourth James Bond film, I think it is. Uh, and um, what happened was there was a lot of um, issues around that because of the filming of it, The it was there was a lot of challenge to it because of the the snow scenes and the beach chalet. They were doing a chalet actually up in the um, up in the ski slopes so it was in Switzerland I think it was. And so they, because of the logistics of that, they decided that New One Live Twice would be an easier film to do so they uh, opted for that one and uh, Sean Connery had sort of hung up his Bond um, After that film, he wasn't willing to renegotiate his contract, so they ended up doing You Only Live uh, twice, and then they would follow it up with On Her Majesty's Secret Service, because they'd have time to plan for it. But by that point, they would cast George Lazenby in the role, and Lazenby would only man, man the Bond kind of character for one film, and then they would replace him. Um, because he didn't come back for Diamonds Are Forever, they managed to coax Sean Connery to come back and do one more Bond film. So Sean Connery then gave up Bond for many many years. But by the latter part of the nineteen seventies, Kevin McClory had approached him about doing Bond again, and he sort of got involved in it. He was actually interested in it. And he he apparently Sean Connery was. Um, involved in helping come up with the ideas around this. So they actually worked on a screenplay and they had a bunch of things going on with um, taking place over the Bermuda Triangle and there was an idea that um, planes, uh, military planes and airplanes would be disappearing into the Bermuda Triangle which was something that had been in the news and been in the media and people had been talking about for generations about the Bubina Triangle being this very dangerous place and so they were going to come up with this idea that it was a secret thing and there was going to be a villain and it was going to be Spectre and he was basically um, you know uh, Taking these planes and um, and uh, warships and stuff, so they were looking at doing a bunch of that, and they had kind of crafted all these different stories, and they were looking at doing a um, an attack in New York C- in New York City and the financial nerve center of the United States, and um, and there was going to be a bunch of other things that they were going to do, and they were going to have you know even mechanical sharks, and uh, apparently it all kinds of stuff worked out, and they'd worked on this script for uh, a number of uh, years, I guess it was, and. Um, uh, but they ran into legal troubles. And so what happened was uh, because McClory's contract was um, was actually based on, on one clear thing. It was based on the screenplay to, uh, to this James Bond and the Secret Service or Longitude 78 West, that Thunderball story was really what he had. Um, so he tried to vary that. And so that was sort of where his challenges would ultimately kind of cause him trouble. And so he had uh, begun this idea back in the 19, latter part of the 1970s of doing this, and he actually kind of coaxed Sean Connery into doing it, and they had even taken out some ads in Variety, and they were starting to talk about this. Um, but the story would kind of drag on, and um, and then drag on and drag on. And part of the, part of this was, uh, again, because of Cubby Broccoli, who had owned the, the Eon Productions' rights to all of the James Bond stories, was um, got wind of this and so he was becoming very concerned about it because obviously they had their own bond franchise going and they had Roger Moore had been signed up and he was still doing movies like for your eyes only and they had done octa well they hadn't done octopussy yet that was the one that would come out around the time of never say never again but they had done um you know a bunch of bond Moonraker and uh, for your eyes only and um, so basically uh, Cubby Rockley would start to kind of threaten legal action, so he basically put the squash on McClory being able to kind of do these kind of variations of bonds so um, when he did finally come up with the idea of doing the film and kind of trying to arrange the financials um, he actually did manage to get some uh, 22 million dollars to make a version of his Bond film and um, he was going to have uh, Trevor Howard as M in the film, Sean Connery as James Bond, and Orson Welles would play Blofeld. Uh, but the story, uh, again, floundered, and it took, you know, again, kept going on and on. And so they they came up with another idea around 1982, I think it was, they kind of... Um, revisited uh, this story. And he had actually at one point named the film "War Warhead, I believe that was the name. So they were going to call it Warhead. And again, the legal actions and stuff kind of slowed this. So by the by the 1982 timeframe, they had um, lost the shot at, at getting Trevor Howard and Orson Welles into the film. And um, they ended up, still kind of revisiting with Sean Connery and managed to convince him uh, because he had been involved in the product for a long time or the project for some time. Uh, But uh, the problem was he had to kind of jettison most of the screenplay and most of the ideas because... um, they eon productions was threatening to legally basically shut them down and so there was enough of a case that you know he 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 had one idea to use and that was basically to utilize the script for thunderball so anything that deviated from thunderball from the story of thunderball would become a problem so when you watch never say never again you can very closely see that it is literally the exact same story as Thunderbolt there were little changes here and there so when the film opens up with kind of a James Bond returning and you've got kind of Sean Connery as an older as an older James Bond he was probably about the same age as Roger Moore at the, at the same time but um but coming back after having been away from it for for you know uh, well a decade He was obviously coming back as, and they sort of had a scene of him kind of in it as a, you know, as an older agent, kind of, kind of, of show that he still had it. Um, That's a little different than the openings to uh, to Thunderball, but the rest of the story for largely is is very, very similar. Um, Even though there's some specific scenes with Fatima Blush, who play is played by um, Barbara Carrera, is um, kind of one of the villains in there. She's sort of in a different there's a scene where she gets killed and where james she's kinda of got james bond and they kind of did some cute little different stuff there um, but uh... the general kind of uh, idea of it with the the war plane being kind of stolen and the duplicate kind of military guy where there's a double and he's basically at a you know james bond encounters him at a health facility and Puts two and two together. A lot of that is basically exactly the same. And then Kim Basinger comes in as is in the role of Domino. So she's um, she is in there um, as the kind of one of the love interest, one of the Bond girls, um, and she is kind of uh, the love interest also of a of the evil villain named Largo, who is uh, played played by uh, Klaus Maria Brandauer. Um, and then there is a um, you know again the the a lot of the other kind of story lines in 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 uh, the film are are almost lifted or exactly the same as the original screenplay, so you don't really get a um You know, you don't get anything new out of it, and so seeing it, it did really, it did relatively well at the box office. It got relatively good reviews. Uh, Sean Connery does look good in the film. He he was in shape. He got himself in very good shape for the film to kind of recapture it to make sure that he looked good and that he was able to kind of do the action stunts and and look believable in it. He does do a good job of that. Um, And so from a storyline standpoint, if you like Thunderball, it is a it is. Uh, true to the original story Um, but it is interesting now because it has been many years since that film came out and um, it to me in a lot of ways doesn't hold up as a as a true Bond film and part of it is there was a certain I think some of the budget got lost in they had to pay Sean Connery a lot of money to do the film Uh, they did have a good cast Um, there were some issues uh, between Kim Basinger and the director I believe um, they had originally hoped to get um, Richard Donner, who had done Superman, um, to do it, but they got um, they uh, would ultimately end up uh, having to kind of um, drop uh, that idea because uh, Donner would uh, request or would re- decline the opportunity to direct the film. But the guy that they would hire would be the, a guy by the name of Irvin. Irvin Kershner who had directed The Empire Strikes Back. So he was a um didn't have a longevity behind him and uh, certainly not a, a a bond kind of, you know, kind of angle to his his skill set, but um certainly had a success behind him. So um I don't think in as a director it wasn't necessarily a, a bad choice and, and the film does have some really nice scenes in it. It's relatively relatively enjoyable. You can watch it from beginning to end. I I would say that it doesn't hold up in the same way that the original does. I think Thunderball is is definitely the superior of the two. Uh, I also think that when the film came out in 1983, it was opposite Octopussy, and I do think that probably of the two, I would probably veer toward more Octopussy as being the the better of the two films. They both came out in, uh, in the kind of summer, fall of 83. I think Octopussy came out first I can't recall um, and uh, and they both did about the same in terms of box office um, so they sort of said that they sort of cancel each other out so you know Bond fans would have either gravitated to see Sean Connery return as Bond and that was sort of what people would have done and then obviously if you liked Bond as a character and the stories and the films the action films in general you would certainly go see Roger Moore and he had he had definitely taken on a um, an ability to kind of carry his own with Bond at this point, he'd done enough of the Bond films that he was clearly well established as James Bond, and Roger Moore did have a um, a strong Bond following, and I think that the the one thing I'd read is Sean Connery had sort of talked a little bit about the, about it in interviews to, at the time, and there was uh there was a friendship between the two men, so Roger Moore and Sean Connery had been friends for a long time, and so they they um even though there was a they were playing both played the same character um uh, that was obviously there was never any rivalry between the two and Uh, Sean Connery never had anything unkind to say about Roger Moore. He did say in some of the interviews, though, that he felt that, well, the one thing he wanted to do when he returned his Bond for Never Say Never Again was to kind of make Bond a little more back toward the seriousness of the way he had played Bond, that he felt that Roger Moore's Bond started to become a little more uh, larger than life. And there was a lot of humor in that, and it was sort of um, almost an unbelievable kind of, you know, uh, the way he played Bond was sort of, you know, the the, the action sequences and the, the Bond kind of heroic episodes were just so unbelievable and so over the top that, you know, that Roger Moore really could only play it in sort of a humorous sort of way. And so he had wanted um, his version of Bond, which was much more centered and much more, a little darker and a little more seriousness um, to kind of carry through. The interesting thing I find is that when you watch Sean Connery play James Bond in Never See Never Again. I find him much closer to the Roger Moore characterization of Bond than he did to the original Bond that he played years earlier. Um, And part of that I think was because there was a lot of kind of joking around in terms of him making jokes about his age and being an older guy and you know, and there was a lot of kind of banter between him and the other character and certainly the villains and stuff that sort of, while there was, it was always there in most of the Bond films, I think it sort of was um, was a little more so in this one. Although I do say that Never Say Never Again Again is, is much more fitting, again, in terms of the it wasn't as over the top, in terms of the special effects or the action sequences. But again, it was largely based on the original story, so they couldn't veer enough to make things really outlandish. Um, and uh, I think the thing, the direction today, uh, if you watch the film now, with some of the effects and the action sequences don't kind of look as exciting, I suppose, as they might have back in the day. I also think that even at the time when you looked at the films that were coming out with things like Die Hard, etc., and some of the the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone action films and things were really sort of making these films look a little older. We talk a little bit about that in in uh, also some of the other Bonds. I think I felt the same way with things like the Timothy Dalton Bonds as well. Um, and I think the music in the film feels very dated, but actually a lot of the Bonds, if you go back to the 70s Bonds, they do feel there's a lot of this kind of synthesized music and these kind of soundtracks that are sort of feel a little kind of dated and cheesy, whereas I think a lot of the older Bond films with kind of you know orchestra scores and and really kind of strong musical backing um hold up really well, and I think even in the newer bonds I think hold up as uh, equally well, whereas I think some of those kind of ones in the seventies and even to the early eighties felt a little more cheesier i guess in the, you know so between you know the Roger Moore and then Never Say Never Again and even Timothy Dalton's once felt a little more dated in terms of the you know I think the music started to improve as you know with kind of uh probably kind of license to kill on probably um but uh it did do well and um it is uh, an interesting film I think in in terms of the bond history when you look at James Bond and the uh just the entire longevity of the series. I think it is kind of interesting now to look back at um the fact that we had this dueling James Bonds in the nineteen eighties, um, both playing two, you know, kind of lead actors, you know, who were very established James Bonds playing kind of this competing role in the film you know, on, on big screens was kind of cool. And um it is interesting to see a Bond film being made that is not part of the original series it's not part of the eon productions kinda James Bonds, but at the same time they did um, they did their best to kinda bring bond you know into the 80's in in an interesting way and I think bring it back with Sean Connery was probably the only way they could have done it I think if they tried to do it with some other actor I think it would have it would have been interesting actually now that I think about it I I think it wouldn't have had the same um, success and the same um, attention, Um, but in terms of holding up in the longevity of the series, I think it would have been interesting if we had had someone different playing James Bond in that film, Um, but uh, it's possible that, you know, had they tried to do it with another actor they never would have actually been able to get the film made. So um, we're going to follow up with one more episode. I think we're wrapping it up in in the seventh episode. So in this story again. If you're interested in reading more about, uh, well, more about James Bond in general, there are a lot of books out there. But um, the book on which some of the content on this is based is a Bond, uh, the book called "The Bond That Got Away," from Upon Publishing, which is available in print and ebook. And then um, again, my book, uh, which I talk about Longitude 78 West, the Lost Bond film. I talk about in my book, "The Lost Hitchcocks," which is also from Upon Publishing and is on. Um, uh, on books in bookstores uh, it's in print and ebook and there's an enhanced version on iTunes iBookstore and you can get it on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and most places wherever books are sold so if you're interested in, in certainly in finding out more about um, Hitchcock or uh, other forgotten films or lost films that he completed or didn't complete you can certainly check that out and then uh, again the Bond film is covered in there and um, we will follow this up with one more episode talk a little bit more about the series Um, and some other kind of interesting little tidbits of stuff and then we'll wrap it up uh, maybe even mention a little bit about what's in in the next series so thanks for tuning in and um, we will catch you next time